The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hey, obviously, great win, man. Hey, third quarter, that's our quarter. So, hey, big plays, great job. Way to get after the football. Sweet, all the way through. Most importantly, Zach, what time is it? For the first time ever, it's only 2.55! Hey there, Cowboys Nation. Welcome to another episode of the Writer's Block Podcast with your hosts, Jess Navarez, and of course, my amazing co-host, Brandon Laurie. Brandon... We get to celebrate another victory week because like I always say, it's not just victory Monday. Like Monday's important. We're the most excited on victory Monday, but I think victory Tuesday goes a little unappreciated sometimes because you can still be obnoxious about winning as a Cowboys fan. So I hope you're celebrating your victory Tuesday accordingly. Uh, yes, absolutely. And you know what? Uh, being a Yankees fan, the Yankees were ousted by the Astros. And I know RJ's been uh, right on top of that, making sure that all Yankee fans know how, how bad it's been. So uh, it was great to see the Cowboys win yesterday. And then if the Yankees lost, which like they did, uh, you feel a little bit better. You're kind of like even. You're not too high. You're not too low. You're just kind of going through the week. And I think on top of that, you know, the whole division in itself, Commanders win yesterday, Giants win again you know, you stack these wins on top of each other. It's all good in Dallas right now. And I think all the fans should be happy. And listen, we got number four back. And I'm sure we're going to be talking about that too because that was a, a big game for him and, and his step into recovery and getting back to his normal playmaking self. So yeah, I'm enjoying it as much as possible, but a little down because of the Yankees, but a little up also because of the Cowboys. You know, I'm so sorry. Uh, I, I don't keep up with baseball, so I can't really like... I can't relate. Like, it's so... My mind span can only handle Dallas Cowboys. Like, that yeah. is the extent of my brain when it comes to sports. Um, but, but hey, you know what? It's cool. It's cool. I, I appreciate all pro sports, all sports in general. I appreciate all of them. It's just the Cowboys have me so wrapped in and just I'm wrapped around their finger. Like, if the Cowboys had a finger, I, I'm wrapped around it completely. It's the best but most toxic thing for me i think like i love a good toxic relationship the but the dallas cowboys the i have to say are the best version of reality tv yeah, that's exactly what it is it's drama every week and that's why we're all hooked and they just they they know what they're doing the storylines write themselves it's it's awesome but no you know what the cowboys having themselves a victory i think a little bit of that fuel was so fired after losing to the eagles uh the cowboys win 24 to 6 against the lions which of course this is a game they should have won nobody expected the cowboys to lose they were not considered the underdogs in this game by any means however it did set up for a perfect trap game if they were to have come out with a loss, but they didn't. And it was a very great, uh, I'm not going to say a great game. I'm going to say it was a great second half of the game. The first half, very, very rough uh, for the Cowboys. But the good thing is, I think the adjustments that you can see that they go in and make it halftime. Although I wish they were adjusting because they wanted to keep the success running from the first half to the second half. However, However, they won the game. We'll get into that um, as well. So I wanted to start off just by talking about your initial reactions uh, really to the game. What were some key things that you noticed? Um, obviously, Dak coming back was huge. That was the biggest storyline heading in there, how you think he looked, or anything really that you saw that came to mind. 
Yeah, we had boots on the ground. Jess, you were there at the game again yesterday, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it just seemed like the strangest half of Cowboys football all season. Um, and I kind of have that to talk about in like the headline section when we'll get into it in a little bit. But it just seemed like that the energy that the team, the fans were all like at the game with, with c- cement in their shoes. Like everything was slow. The crowd wasn't really as loud. And I remember I sent you a text. I was like, is it really as quiet as it seems on the TV broadcast right now? Cause I mean, from what I I heard, there were a ton of Lion fans uh, there, Lions fans. So kudos to them to to show out like they did. But it just seemed like that the beginning was so slow, and maybe it's something to do with these nooners uh, for the Cowboys. It seems like that whenever they're playing these twelve o'clock games, I kind of cross my fingers and you know uh, try and do a little a little dance just to try and put a little good juju uh, on them because it seems like that for some reason they play well in prime time and they're still the same team. Like there's no roster shifting going on or injuries that are happening if anything they're supposed to be better with Dak coming back and it just seems like that these noon games can be a little bit of a letdown to start but like you said the halftime adjustments they have been absolutely flawless in that department it's almost like that they bait the teams early on in the first half and we're like all right well we'll see what you're doing we'll see what your strengths are but we're also going to write down what your weaknesses are and we're going to attack that in the second half and for how Philadelphia is in the second quarter where they just score all these points I feel like Dallas is the opposite where it might be a little underwhelming to start, but man, oh man, do they finish in the third and fourth quarter. So I think those are like the two biggest headlines. And of course, Dak Prescott as well coming back and, and his performance too. Yeah, definitely. And and uh, I will say that that was my second Lions game I've ever been to. I went to the playoff game um, whenever they played the Lions, whatever year that was. I think that was the, the 2014, right? With the, yeah. the Romo where he does the, the planking on the ground yeah. and that became a meme yeah. for uh, that. That was one of my yeah. all-time favorite games. The Romoing. Everyone yeah. was yeah. doing the Romo for, for a minute there. They were planking, but it was the Romo because they were all, they all had their hands up like that. But um, yeah, I went to that game and I remember they traveled well, given it was a playoff game, but Lions fans have always traveled well. And I think because the Cowboys don't, see them as like a real opponent most of the times. I mean, let's be honest. The the last time they played the Lions were 2019. Um, it was just, yeah, I, I don't even remember that game, to be quite honest with you. It's not really a, a rivalry in any way. It's not a, a game that people remember. Um, but Lions fans do travel very well, and they are very loud. I'm, and I'm not talking during the game, Brandon. Like, I am talking about I'm standing in line waiting to get my food and they're already yelling. It is, it is insane. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but if you have any Detroit lions fans in your life, please confirm or deny that this is a fact because they are so obnoxious. And I, I get it. Cowboys fans were considered obnoxious, but like, it's it's a noon game. It is early. We're standing there trying to get our food and you just have people yelling like, let's go lions sir, you are one in four. Like, please let me get my chicken tenders. Like, why are you yelling in my ear? It was, so they came with the energy and, and it was, it was a lot. It was a lot of energy, even just getting to the seats. We hadn't even sat down yet. Um, a lot of them did show up, but what I will say about the Cowboys fans is those noon games are always really empty until probably the second quarter. Yeah. Um, it's, I don't really think it's a quiet thing as much as it is an attendance thing. Um, a lot of people don't get there until probably closer to the end of the first quarter, maybe the second quarter. Um, it, that's just based on the games I've been to. That's what I've noticed. I know personally the traffic was worse for some reason. I didn't get there until right before kickoff. I don't, I didn't get to see my pregame warmups. Like I usually do. Like it was, it was chaotic. So I will say, I don't necessarily think it was more quiet. I think there just wasn't a lot of people there. Um, those Lions fans though, they, they are something else. I, I think Philly fans, of course, get get all of the flack that they deserve. But man, those Lions fans, they are they are quite a fan base. And, and I'm trying to be nice here. They are something else. But, um, you know, what was very cool was a, a moment that I really, really was excited to see was when Dak first um, came out, which was, uh, well, what I will say is it was very unusual because during home games, what you'll see is um, the announcer will go through the starting lineups for both defense and then offense. And usually they'll save your quarterback, the very last person they're going to announce. 
Well, they didn't do that during this game. I don't know why. They just only went through the defense, the starting defense. They didn't go through the starting offense. And so Dak didn't get his official moment until right before he walked on, right before the announcer was like, Dak Prescott like said something about Dak and the crowd just erupted That's awesome. on that first drive to the point where like he was telling everybody to be quiet because it got so loud. Like they were, we were all so excited to see him back on there. So um, I, I will say that that, that was a moment that I think kind of threw me off. Cause I was like, where's the starting offensive lineup? But you know what? It was, it was really, really cool to see that in person because um I talked about this on one of the other podcasts was when um, last season, when, when he was returning for the Tampa Bay game for the opening game, um, it was an away game. So I was actually at the watch party at AT AT&T stadium and people were going crazy. I mean, we're watching it on a screen and people are just erupting, going crazy. Like there's people crying. I'm not kidding. Like it was, it was a moment. So I was really excited to see him have that moment more in his home turf, his own territory. And it was, it was a really cool moment. Like I got chills. I get chills thinking about it, just how loud the crowd was. So I don't necessarily think it was anything other than it's a noon game. It's chaotic for whatever reason. Noon games are so chaotic at AT AT&T stadium and Lions fans travel well. So there's that. Well, and on top of that, I saw that you uh, were taking notes during the game as well, too. You're not only there as a fan, but you're there as a worker, you know, you're, you're grinding. And again, you got the front row seat almost, you know, you're, I know the seat was a little bit in the corner, but you got to see Dak Prescott firsthand. Uh, what did you think of his performance? I know that there's mixed reviews from everybody out there right now in Cowboys Nation. Um, but before I go, I, I want to know what your initial reaction was on Dak and his performance yesterday. Yeah, I mean, look, I was honed in on Dak. That was that was the guy. I mean, I was laser focused on him. Um, I think he did great. I think obviously the first quarter there was maybe it wasn't necessarily jitters but there was some rust he needed to shake off um and I think the perfect example of that was the pass to I believe Michael Gallup that was a little over his shoulder um but other than that I think the second half when he came out he was just uh, how do I say this he was overexerting to where I was like okay slow down calm down Dak. like I know you're back but we need you for the rest of the season like please relax um and he was getting a little bit more risky to where you know I think Tony Romo even talked about this in the live broadcast where he's throwing to double triple covered guys and I think him just being overly excited Dak even talking about that later on like he needed to take his his himself back a little bit from what I saw though very accurate very zippy just very good football coming from Dak Prescott and what I was really excited to see a little preview of was him using his legs again um you know and I expect to see more of that as the season continues on but it was overall I think the most noticeable thing was how much everybody was rallying around him and just the presence that he brings that locker room is it's unmatched I mean flowers to Cooper Rush I I will continue to give him the kudos that he deserves but you're not the starting quarterback and it's just very apparent that this team was waiting for Dak to come back so I think he looked great um personally I think he looked great yeah I I think the one thing that's overlooked is he looked like a quarterback that hasn't played since uh September 11th which is totally fine like I think the expectation for a lot of fans is that you know the because I think that the salary that he gets paid, there's an assumption that he has to perform at that elite level. and that. But that's just the dictation of what the quarterback market is. And if we didn't know what Dak Prescott made, I think people would be a little bit easier on him with regards to the criticism. I thought he played really well. You know, like you said, there were moments where it seemed like he tried playing a little YOLO ball, hero ball, as people call it. And um, But everybody does that. Aaron Rodgers does it all the time when they're – is almost like this pressure to perform really well and kind of carry the team on your shoulders. I thought that when you look at his performance, 19 to 25, 207 yards, a touchdown, 76 completion percentage, awesome. You know, he took care of the ball. I know in the Tampa game, it looked like that he was playing a little bit more pressing. Uh, and the Tampa defense is much better than the Detroit defense. But the Detroit defense came to play, and I know on the one pass that he threw almost in triple coverage to CeeDee Lamb, that's sort of something I pointed out on Twitter, 
and originally when I was seeing those plays impressing a little bit, I'm like, dude, like don't throw, just run the ball, use the runners, use the running backs, Elliott and Pollard, you know, to your advantage. But then when I was hearing Mike McCarthy talk and him in, in the post game, I, they were talking about this establishment of rhythm, getting in the feel of the game again. And I think that's why they were taking these shots and he's taking these shots, knowing that it's the Detroit Lions. You know, you're not going up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in this game. You can take a little bit more of a risk knowing that how well the defense is playing right now, that if you do make a mistake, they will more than likely bail you out. And it's almost like, yes, you want to see a more conservative effort, but you also want to see Dak take these throws, get more comfortable getting back into the offense that he's been out of for five weeks now. Um, and it just, it's set up, it's set up perfectly with his return. He plays against a Detroit team and then is going to be playing a Bears team, then has the bye to relax, kind of get some things together. Packers, then Giants. So it's like with each test, we hear that this idea of ramping up is something that Mike McCarthy talks about all the time. And the games line up that way too. He's versing opponents that are just getting increasingly better and better and better and better to where then when he plays the Giants on Thanksgiving, hopefully he's a different Dak Prescott. And especially when you're playing a divisional opponent, you want him to be at his best and you play these sort of lower level teams right now. So I think he he did overall really well. And you look at someone coming back from injury too, to a tongue of Ilolo for the Dolphins, who he played against a Steelers team, which is probably on the same level of the Detroit defense. And he has Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, better wide receivers than what Dak Prescott is playing with right now. And he was 19 to 25, or I'm sorry, 21 of 35, 261 yards, a touchdown, and a 60% completion uh, rate. You know, so again, comparable, but they're both guys coming back from injury. This is sort of like the expectation that we have to have. We have to temper expectations um, for these quarterbacks when they come back, especially after a long period of time. So that was my, you know, kind of thoughts on Dak. I thought, yeah, he could clean things up, but... It's a, it's, it's a step forward, which I like. And I also like, too, that Mike McCarthy was asked today during his press conference, today being Monday, and we record on Mondays. Uh, if y'all didn't figure that out, uh, we record on Monday. So uh, Mike McCarthy spoke on Monday, and he talked about how it, it, it never felt like Dak was gone because he was still part of everything. He was still very much present at practice. He was still always in those quarterback meetings. He was still around everything. It's not like he took a leave of absence where he was just gone and not around anything. No, he was there every single day. Still the first one in there, still the last one to leave. I mean, he was still Dak throughout this process. And I think that's why you're going to see more of a quick turnaround from Dak. I think that's why, to be quite honest, I think, I'm going to go on a very, very, very steep ledge here. Oh boy. And I'm going to say, I know, I'm going to say, I think that first that first half of the game against the Lions is the worst, and I'm saying worst just so, so loosely, the worst you're going to see Dak Prescott play post-injury yeah. because he has been around. I think him coming back, coming back, I, it's not like he left, you know, and that's kind of Mike McCarthy's point with that. But, um you know, it was great to see Dak return, and uh, the Cowboys actually went into this game healthy. They had a very healthy roster. Um, everybody who was on the injury report during the week came out, actually ended up playing and, and looking good. Well, looking you have, good. It, except for one, which was the, uh, the Neville Gallimore one, which I'm sure Christy uh, yeah. Scales, you know, she's on your podcast on Monday's uh, Girls Talk, Boys Talk. Did she have anything to say about Neville Gallimore and, and his situation? Um, no, there's really not much of an update yet. I, I'm assuming if we're going to hear an update, it probably will be more so on Tuesday's press conference. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it could, it seemed to me like more of a coaching thing, uh, more of a coaching decision, but yeah, I, I want Neville Gala more. I want more. So I'm right there with you. Well, uh, with, it also it, it speaks to the depth of this team, right? And I know we'll get into yeah. the other injury news, but you have somebody like a Carlos Watkins who started for the team last year, and he's able to slide right in. And he actually, in in some people's opinion, uh, he's a better run defender than a Neville Gallimore. And I know in training camp and everything, Neville was sort of on a short leash. Leash we talked about it. He was playing into the preseason games, deep into the you know the game. So um, I think that it speaks to the quality of depth. I, I call it like the serpent defense and you know, one person's gone and two more people replace, you know, the player that's out. So I think it's, uh, it, it's great to see that they have that type of depth. And I'm sure, you know, we'll also talk about the Jordan Lewis news as well too. Yeah, definitely. And that, that was one of, uh, one of the things I had mentioned during the podcast today was I talked about how, you know, 
as Cowboys fans, we tend to uh, look at the glass half empty sometimes. I think the fan base generally likes to be a little negative. Let, let's take it. What it is. You're taking the little shots here. You, 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 we want to keep the look, listeners. <laughs> look, look, I, the listeners know I appreciate them. I'm assuming they just heard the daily before they hear this and they know how much I love them. But I'm just saying in general, I think as Cowboys fans, the fan part of me, I even forget how how much depth is on this team. I mean, oh my goodness, there's so much depth and versatility where you have guys on the O-line shifting all the time. And that is, it sounds easy because we don't play football, right? But it also is not easy when you actually know what goes behind these players in these positions and the footwork, the everything, the positioning, the muscle memory that you have to break. I mean, just think of something that you do every single day for work that becomes muscle memory for you, whether it's typing a certain way or whatever. And then imagine those, those letters on your keyboard just being shuffled over again and having to learn that and be good at that for the, uh, you know, not even a week's notice, okay? So what what my point is here is the versatility within the Cowboys locker room. We talk about it all the time on defense, but I think it's so overlooked when it comes to the offensive line specifically. And just how much these young guys, you know, we, we went into the season hearing a lot of like, this is the season for the young guys to take their opportunity and, and step up, but they really have. I mean, you look at even that wide receiver core, you look at the tight end room. Oh my goodness. You want to talk about young guys stepping up. You now have, I mean, talking about tight ends, you have Jake Ferguson and Peyton Hendershot who really are making decisions hard early on for Dalton Schultz. Who's on a franchise tag. I do not want to be part of that meeting when it comes to having to make that decision, right? I mean, that's going to be difficult, but who would have thought? None of us would have been talking, like we were freaking out earlier during training camp time when Dalton Schultz didn't have a deal made. And so what it's just incredible to see the evolution of this team so far. And what I think is really exciting is this game against the Lions set the groundwork of what has yet to come. And I'm not, you know, discrediting anything that has happened before that, but I'm saying you now have your starting quarterback in with a set group. He has his set O-line. He has his set wide receiver core, his set tight ends. Obviously you have your one-two punch with Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott. Everything is set for him. So now it's just a matter of Dak gelling in, figuring himself out, figuring out his mechanics coming back. And that's scary. That is a very, very scary offense. Yeah. Uh, You mentioned the actual figuring it out. Dak has never played with a team like this before in his career. He's never played with a defense like this where he doesn't have to press too much like we already talked about. And to see that when the offense struggles going into halftime and they're down 6-3 to and Trayvon Diggs makes an interception, you know, as the Lions offense is sort of driving a little bit and Jared Goff will do Jared Goff type things. I guess, you know, now that he's a line, you know, it's like he makes more mistakes than, than usual. But it's... Uh, it's in those moments where Dak can kind of sit back and relax and say, okay, like I made a mistake. You know, we didn't do well. I think that might've been the drive um, or at least the one after it, you know, he's taking sacks unnecessarily. He's throwing inherent passes and stuff, but the defense takes the ball right back. You know, the second half of the game out of the six lines possessions that they had, five of them ended up in takeaways and turnovers. So again, it's like you're getting these extra possessions where if you stumble a little bit and you're trying to find your footing, don't throw interceptions in the red zone. The whole reason why the Eagles uh, beat the Cowboys is mostly over the turnovers that Cooper Rush threw, you know, the interceptions. I think that everybody in that, you know, in the whole team, the or- whole organization believes that if Cooper Rush doesn't throw two, maybe even one of those interceptions in the beginning, they have a shot to beat the Eagles. So I think that he just needs to play a little bit behind, relax a little bit, calm down. My dad was trying to make the analogy that Aaron Rodgers made a while back. He was like, what did he say? Chill out, calm down. I was like, no, dad, he said relax. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, it's just in those moments, you have to just relax, lean on your defense, lean on the running game. Um, And, you know, Jordan Lewis is another player that got injured, unfortunately lost to the season to a Liz Frank injury, right? Yeah, it's a, it was a foot injury, and um, Christy Scales had to teach me how to say that today, and she gave some really good insight on that entire injury um, as well. But, you know, 
you know it's serious when he underwent surgery that same night. Yeah. Sunday night, he had surgery. So obviously going to be placed on IR, which is so unfortunate. And I, I don't think – obviously we have the depth, the versatility within the Cowboys locker room to, to lean on, which is great, especially during times like this when injuries do occur. But it does create a bit of a domino effect when you look at losing Jordan Lewis. It's not like he's a player that you can easily replace because of where he really places himself within this defense and the things he's able to do. Um, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying there's not other players. We know there's other players that that can step up. One, one specifically that Mike McCarthy talked about was Deron Bland. Um, maybe getting more of those reps in. So I, I'm just interested to see with, you know, kind of how they shuffle things around without uh, JLU, but so unfortunate. I, I know you and I are both on the same page about players and injuries and, and just how much we hate seeing any player suffer any kind of injury. And um, these, these guys put so much on their, on the line every time they step out on the field. And um, I think Tua was, you know, a few weeks ago with everything was a perfect example of how quickly things can can turn in, in as far as players health in this game so um so much respect for for all of these professional athletes and what they do every single day it is taxing on their body and they are all just so tough i mean i i, I talk about it all the time when i have a cold i'm not getting out of bed but these guys are getting tackled left and right from 200 300 pound men and then they get up and they do it again the next day. That is, it's incredible to me every single time. But uh, yeah, J. Lou was another one. And then Matt Farniok um, had a torn hamstring, according to the Dallas Morning News. Um, and he will be out, it looks like, about six weeks uh, with that. So you do the math. He should be able to return in that timeline before the end of the season, uh, which is great. But again, you look at just kind of the ripple effect that that, that, that takes um, on on the O-line there. So um, two key injuries there, which, of course, very unfortunate, and we hate, hate seeing. Well, and since the last time we recorded, Matt Waletsko is another guy who uh, injured his shoulder again. Shoulder subluxation. Uh, like they were saying that it's – his shoulder pops out, pops back in. Like that, none of these injuries sound fun. And like you said, he was able to deal with this, um, you know, injury, or at least it was reported that he's been dealing with this injury throughout his, his college career. And it's like to me, like these guys are just built differently. And sometimes we forget that when we when we watch the game as fans. And like you said, you know, we're sitting on a couch or sometimes in the stands watching the game. Like we're not on the field. We're not with these guys day in and day out in practice. And that's why you bring up the injuries. I think Mike McCarthy is not given enough credit for how he handles injuries and. He talked about today, people were asking him about the one-two punch between Elliott and Pollard, and he said, listen, I don't plan on this being a 17-game season. I plan on this being a 20-game season. And he said that we need to extend these guys in their life on the field that in when we get into December and playoff football, Elliott can carry the ball 30 times if he needs to. And I think that just speaks to how great he is as a coach. And even when Michael Gallup was coming back from injury, they sat him out in the Giants game, and everyone was like, "Whoa, why is he? We, he was practicing all week. You know what? What's the what's the the worry right now? Well, he wanted to get an extra week of rest just because he felt like he couldn't go. All right, we'll let we'll let you sit down and, and relax. And even with Dak, Dak was never rushed, and there there was no pressure to come back. And I think that if if Dak played the way he did on Sunday against the Philadelphia Eagles and lost. I think we would be talking about totally different things. I think the national media would be on top of him saying, "What? where's Dak? He lost two games now in a row this season. He doesn't look like the same guy. Cooper Rush needs to step in right away. So I think he took that narrative completely off the table by sitting Prescott until the Detroit Lions game. So I think he's been doing a great job when it comes to you know injuries and, and letting guys sit and rest a little bit. And that's why I think with whatever happens with Elliott, he was able to come back into the game after he got that really like shot to the knee, a hamstring or whatever it was. I, I think somebody said it was a contusion. Um, so it seems like that he's okay, but I'm kind of, I was thinking after he, you know, after the game was over, maybe you let him sit for this week, get two weeks of rest with the bears. And then of course the, the bye week coming up and just let Pollard and, and Davis just kind of handle the workload just for this uh, next week. But again, you know, I think Mike McCarthy is, is highly underrated when it comes to injury prevention in that department. 
Well, and what I really appreciate about Mike McCarthy is the mental aspect that he also includes in this entire recovery process. So it's, you know, and I, I asked him about this in the press conference last week, you know, how important is it to you to not only prioritize the physical aspect of the injury and what the doctors are saying, but also the mental aspect of it? Because really, he said that's the last hurdle. It's it's important. It is the last hurdle. So even when it came to Michael Gallup, it wasn't that it was a physical thing. It was mentally he was not ready to do that and and play that that game but what I appreciate about Mike McCarthy is not only does he have a constant conversation going it's not like you know the player gets hurt hey see you in four weeks when you're completely healed no Mike McCarthy's talking to these guys every single day hey what progress did we make hey how are you feeling you know and then on top of that the conversation's also okay, how are you feeling physically, but mentally, where are you? How are you feeling with that mental hurdle? And I think that from Mike McCarthy is so underappreciated because, you know, you can take a look around the NFL and I'm sure you can, you know, just us talking about this, you can name a few of the coaches that you know don't make that a priority within their locker room. And I think as far as player safety goes, I will always have respect for coaches that put that first and put the longevity of not just the players in the game, but players after they're done playing the game in his hands first. And I think Mike McCarthy is a great coach for for doing that and, and prioritizing that. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Something that Brandon had texted me about, and I'm the worst at texting Brandon back. It's like, <laughs> I'm just the worst at texting everybody back. Um, but yeah, my, my week goes by so fast. I, anyways, my point is he texted me about this really great idea that he had about talking about headlines. Um, and so Brandon, what are some of the headlines you wanted to discuss for our amazing listeners who got the Blog and the Boys podcast network to 3 million downloads Holy cow. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of y'all. If y'all are listening, yeah. that's a lot. And the year, the, the year isn't even over and it's so far at, at 3 million. So that's, that's impressive. And thank you guys so much. And, you know, again, us being a new pod and, and being a part of that is, is an honor and we appreciate it. But yeah, the, the one overarching headline, and I really, really want to know your perspective on this, because this is kind of taking a helicopter view of the NFL. The NFL so far this season is so topsy-turvy like with everything that's going on, like I, I was writing stuff down and, and it kind of made me think about it because of how weird the the Lions game was on Sunday, how I'm watching the Cowboys and I'm like, I know they're better than scoring three points at halftime. Like this is this is not the team that we saw for the previous few weeks. And yeah, we knew that the offense struggled with scoring points and third down efficiency, which we'll get into. But like, this is not the team that we've come to fall in love with in 2022 and the reality TV of the Dallas Cowboys. But you look at someone like a Jeff Okuda, you know, the the Lions cornerback, like cornerbacks are not supposed to have 15 tackles like they're just that's not a part of their game. And he had 15 tackles against the Cowboys. You have quarterbacks like Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, all pillars of this modern NFL of passing. You're outside of Brady and or I'm sorry, Mahomes and, and Josh Allen. And they have a combined record so far this season of eight and twelve. You know, and, and Russell Wilson's been injured and in like a shell of himself of who he used to be. And sort of this parody of these top level quarterbacks has allowed players like a Cooper Rush to go four and one. You have Geno Smith leading the NFL in completion percentage. Who saw that coming? 
I will tell you, nobody ever saw that coming. You have low-scoring prime games. You have former M- uh, MVP Matt Ryan getting benched uh, this week for Sam Ellinger. Uh, shout out Longhorns fans. Um, the Jets and Giants are six and one and five and two, and that the Raiders are two and four. And I feel better about the Raiders at two and four than I do the Giants at at six and one. The the NFC East is the best division in football right now with a twenty and seven record. I mean, there's just so much confirmation at the top level of the NFL right now and at the bottom, but in the middle 26 teams that we have, like you could flip a coin and you could tell me, oh, the Cowboys are at this record or like the Dolphins are at this record. Like Dolphins were three and oh, they've lost, you know, three games they won on Sunday night. And it's like, what, what is going on in the NFL? And I don't know if you're feeling this too. I know people have talked about it, but it just feels like it's one of the weirdest years uh, in football. And it's like scoring's down too, defensive efforts are through the roof running the football is like the way you win games now it's like what? I, I just I don't know it just it, it boggles my mind when I think about all these things it feels like we are in a multiverse of madness yeah you yeah there you it, go it really does <laughs> it feels like uh you know, we're we're in a different timeline. Loki might have, you know, maybe what we saw on on Loki was uh, we were all transitioning to more of a different uh, different timeline, if you will. But no, but really, what I think we're seeing here is a younger NFL overall. I think it's. And this is this might be something that happens every few years, right? Where you have your primes, you have your Tom Brady's, and you have your Aaron Rodgers, and and you know you have all of these renowned names that you just associate with being good, and they're great. I mean, all of these guys that you're talking about, they have made their names on this sport forever. I mean, for the rest of the NFL's you know stint for however long of forever. I mean these guys have made their marks and, and they, they did years and years ago. But what I think you're seeing now is a few things. You're seeing more uh, of a younger NFL because a lot of these quarterbacks that you're talking about, they're younger. They, they may not be, you know, as renowned as Tom Brady and and Aaron Rodgers, but they're the new names. Right. Um, And you're even seeing guys like Dak who he's in his seventh year. And that is, that's wild to think about. I, I can't even believe that when I say it, but you're seeing these younger guys becoming the older guys in the league. So Dak Prescott really is considered like an older guy in the league, which is absolutely mind boggling to me, Derek Carr. I mean, you have all these guys that were once like the younger quarterbacks that were just starting out. No, now they're, they're really kind of the older guys. They're, they're the veterans obviously, but I, I think what you're seeing too is, a shift in how the game is played. I think the run game has become the staple of the NFL. And who would have thought that even a few years ago, a couple, a couple of years ago, even, but I think what a lot of it is too, is um, you, you look at the aspect of how many of these younger quarterbacks can really be like Tom Brady can really be like Aaron Rodgers. I, I mean, these are some freaks of nature that we're talking about here. And as a Cowboys fan, yes, I hate admitting that. I, I do. That that hurt me to say out loud. But when you have somebody like Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, you just don't find players like that very often. And, and I think what you're seeing is you are just seeing the new generation of older guys. And, and you know, they they're relying more on the run. Most of these quarterbacks that you're talking about, they rely more on the run. Um, and as they get older, yeah, after a few injuries, after you're aging, you've been playing professional football for, you know, X amount of years, of course you're going to rely on the run more because you have to start thinking and transitioning your mindset to long-term, you know, Dak being in his seventh year, what what does long term look like at that point and how do we keep it you know even longer term how how do we how do we change the conversation from oh you know he he has these injuries and we're we're you know he's being forced to throw throw the ball and and you know be sacked a million times and you know obviously when you're putting that much physical pressure on any human they're going to be worn down. So I think what the key here is, is you rely on the run. So you obviously have your quarterback for a longer period of time in the very long run scheme of things. I'm talking years down the road. I'm talking even seven years from now uh, when Dak is still playing, you know, but um, I, I think that's what you're seeing. I think it's a big shift, but also, man, what a weird year. You're so right. You're saying all these things. I'm like, that's weird. 
That's weird. Oh, that is weird. I mean, it's interesting. It, it's interesting to say at the very least. But what are your thoughts on that? That's a very good point, Brandon. You are a genius. I just have to throw that out there. Uh, oh my goodness. You you blow my mind sometimes with how you think about things. Well, it, and, and even too, like when we were thinking about Dak coming in yesterday, like he left the NFL different than when he entered yesterday like if that makes any sense it's like the world that he knew in week one when he played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is completely different you know it's like the, like you said the style of football running the football is like this emphasis now and the way that he knew how to play like you look at week one of last year how him and Tom Brady were dueling in Tampa and like that's that was like this modern era of football like everyone's like oh this is great this is awesome Dak can sling it and then he comes back yesterday and he's only thrown for 19, 25 times, you know, for 200 yards. Like everyone would look at that and say, well, Cooper Rush can put up those numbers. And, and again, it comes back to the contract comes there, but that's the way football is being played right now, which is what you talked about. And the next headline I want to talk about as well too. And I understand that sometimes when we give these takes, people could look at us as being homers or not giving enough criticism, but I think we need to kind of relax a little bit on Tyler Smith at left tackle. I think that, yes, he did struggle yesterday. He did struggle against Aaron Donald again, you know, when they played the Rams, but he was going up against Aiden Hutchinson, who on most draft boards was the number one player coming out of the draft this, this year. Like they don't do that just because it's like, ah, this draft class is terrible. We just got to throw darts and, and see, uh, well, he'll be the number one overall pick. No, like this guy is a legit talent. And he had uh, out of the five sacks that the Lions had coming into this um, three of them were from Aiden Hutchinson or seven sacks and he had three and he had a couple yesterday as well too and he was all over the field twisting stunts and all this stuff so just relax on Tyler Smith I, I, he has played very well he has been thrown into the fire very early on in his career and I remember watching Tyron Smith as a little Cowboys fan years ago and I was thinking the same thing I was like well this guy was was so young and he was so drafted so high like how come he's not playing well well then now that i i've gotten older a little wiser you understand that the nature of the nfl is it is a tough sport to play especially going from college to the nfl especially going from tulsa to the nfl so just relax on tyler smith a little bit it's a growing process i don't think anybody is going to be better than him jason peters again he's 40 i, I think that he's perfect where he is being a swing tackle in case of injury and being a in and out kind of left guard right now so I don't know if you feel the same way about Tyler Smith or is it you're going to be a little more critical than I am? No, no. And I think a lot of us were critical on Tyler Smith early on. I mean, I'm talking week one because of what we had seen in training camp. And to be honest, what we had heard from Mike McCarthy right before Tyron Smith got hurt. I mean, really, the, we were expected to be critical at that point. I mean, he's and we just talked about this. He's switching positions completely, which is not an easy feat for any kind of player, much less a rookie player who has not even had a regular season NFL game at that point. But I think Tyler Smith has done a phenomenal job with this season so far. And I think asking him to do what he's done, um, there's not a lot of weeks that you look back that you talk about, you know, other than the Rams game and, and this Lions game where his name has even been brought up. And to me, that says something that says he's doing his job and he's doing his job correctly. But I think having Jason Peters in there isn't, necessarily a saving grace because I know a lot of people keep asking why aren't we going to see more of Jason Peters he's passed his ramp up where's Jason Peters the man's 40 like y'all he he is amazing at what he does don't get me wrong he is incredible and I'm so glad that the Cowboys front office made the move by getting Jason Peters but he's not your saving grace because really when you have the choice between him and your future who is working so tight knit with him, you better pick Tyler Smith because Tyler Smith is the future of that left side of your O-line. I mean, it's just obvious what they're doing. They're setting Tyler Smith up to stay in his spot, really to continue for the rest of his career there uh, on the left side. Again, we don't know what things are going to look like when Tyron Smith comes back. Um, that's still to be determined because that's still so far in advance. But I think he's done a phenomenal job. I'm not going to be critical on the man. Could I ever play in, on an offensive line like that? Absolutely not. And in, in, within the circumstances and the amount of time he had to figure it out and switch his positions – not a lot of people, not a lot of players could make it look as easy as he has. And um, 
I do think Jason Peters coming in and acting as his mentor has done a lot. I think that helped him, and I think that's going to mold him into a phenomenal, phenomenal player for years to come. And Trent Williams, too, was regarded as almost like the number one left tackle in the league. He allowed D Ford to get a safety on Jimmy Garoppolo yesterday, you know, against the Kansas City Chiefs. So it's like even the top of the like the the line here, the number one guy is struggling as well, too. So I guess the question now I'll ask you is who do you have at your bottom three top ten? I think that that's I know we're running a little short on time here. Again, we talk so long. We only have one episode a week to go through all this stuff. Uh, but, you know, I, I think this was probably the hardest top 10 to to figure out because there was a lot of top end performers. But the back end, you're almost like you have to leave guys out. And there were like all these hidden yards, all these hidden moments where you're like, you want to give these guys credit. But it's like, oh, well, you have to have that guy over that guy. And again, when you're only addressing it off of, you know, one half of football, because the first half you could just throw out the window. um, I think it was a little tougher for me. So I'll start with you with your bottom three. Who you got? Yeah, no, I agree. I think this was the hardest list. Um, It took me. It took me all day to sit on this list, which normally I'll make this list right after the game um, because it's so fresh in my mind. And then, you know, I go back and fix things later. I've I've messed with this list probably 20 times today. I, I mean, usually once my list is done, it's done and that's it. No, I've gone back on this list and there's still people that are not on it that absolutely deserve to be. So there's that. Um, my bottom three, I have number 10, Dalton Schultz because it was just great to see his presence again. And gosh, the grit. After he took that hit on the knee and the grit to come back out, kudos to Dalton Schultz. Um, I kind of had a feeling that once Dak returned, you would see a little bit more of Dalton Schultz like you did week one, so I was excited to see that. Uh, Speaking of grit, number nine, you have Ezekiel Elliott. Same thing. Um, You know, Zeke just fighting and fighting through really anything. I think uh, I tweeted this out that Zeke is one of the one of the, if not the toughest player I have ever seen in in my time of watching football. Again, y'all, I'm only uh, no, I'm not going to age myself, but I'm young, ish, uh, kind of. I'm a millennial, so a little young, yeah, little old. You fit in, you know, in some sort of gap here. <laughs> <laughs> I fit, I fit somewhere, but um, you know, I uh, Brandon and I talk about this a lot. We we always say. We are in the same generation here together. So you can also understand that statement more than our older listeners who are like, oh, how dare you say that? Uh, No, in in my time, wanted to preface that Zeke is one of the toughest players I've seen play in my time. Um, And that says a lot. I'm comparing him to Jason Witten. Um, Anyways, as far as the grit. Um, number eight, I had Tony Pollard. Obviously that one, two punch is so important. I know you're shaking your head. You don't like my list, but, um, here we are. We, we love some disagreements and and that's okay. But, um, those are my bottom three. Uh, I put Tony Pollard there just because he had a lot of very, very explosive plays, very key and very game changing for the game outcome. I think I had, uh, CD lamb at number 10. I think that anytime Dak needed to make a play, this this big throw, you know, trying to get the offense to move, he was the guy that he was going to. Four receptions, 70 yards. I think he averaged close to about a little over 17 yards a catch as well, too. So I thought that was really good. And again, you know, CeeDee Lamb also has to get comfortable now with Dak. And, you know, yes, they did train in the offseason together and work throughout training camp, but it's getting used to him and how he throws the ball, his tendencies. So I think CeeDee Lamb is going to get better from here. And if this is the floor, I'm very happy with that. I have Dak at number nine, and I know people might have that either lower or off the list um, or, or have him higher. I just think that, again, there were people that were on this list, and Jess is very shocked right now. There were people on this list that just played in certain moments and certain plays a little bit better than Dak, and that's totally fine. I expect Dak to move up this list, but I think for where he started, number nine is perfectly fine. Listen, he's not Tony Romo at number nine, but he's Dak Prescott, you know, at number nine. So we'll keep him there. Uh, and number eight, again, you know, you might disagree. I have Kevante Turpin down there. I think that his return was awesome. The guy is explosive. He did get his uh, one reverse carry, which we were all chanting for and, and uh, you know, preaching for. But I think if they capitalized on the touchdown or a drive to get some sort of points instead of getting the three and out, I think I would have felt a little bit better about the punt return. Uh, and yeah, so... I'll, I'll let you go because uh, it seems like you're a little upset with me um, to go with your seven, six, and five, and we won't talk about it. 
Your bottom three felt personal. Okay. That felt very yeah. personal. <laughs> um, I, I, you'll see why. We're going to work up my list, and we have polar opposites on our list um, this week, which is fun. That's fun for everybody. Okay. Um, up next at seven, I had Noah Brown. I think Noah Brown continues to play some fantastic ball, um, but I actually had a tie for seven. Um, Ooh, I don't know if we've ever first done that tie before. now. Um, I had a tie. So technically I have 11 people. I kind of cheated, but I'm counting seven as the same number. Um, but I had him tied with CD on my number seven. And that's because I just couldn't pick one or the other. I, I wanted to make sure to give credit to CD for um, really showing up. And, and again, I think he's one of those players that was in the conversation to show more of the kind of player he is with his quarter, his starting quarterback back um, in the game. So those are my number sevens. Number six, I had Anthony Barr. I think Anthony Barr made such a huge, I know, I know, I know. He made such a huge difference um, during this game. I think he has, con- well, look, I think during the uh, span of this season, he has made a difference. I just don't think he always gets the recognition he deserves for that. But um, he was all over the place during this game. All over the place. In fact, I think, let's see, let's pull up the stats real quick. He had, um, I don't want to say this wrong. Okay. All right, everybody. I have my life together. He had four tackles and two assists. Um, he was, he ranked third on the Cowboys defense for the amount of tackles. I just think he um, was all over the place. Number five, I had Kevontae Turpin. My guy, the torpedo. Um, you love to see him, but I, Look, I have him high on my list because he continues to give, whether the offense capitalizes on it or not, that's not on him, but he continues to give the offense great field position. And Cavante is actually ranked number two in the league right now for punt returners. So I think as a rookie who's only played seven weeks of football, you're ranked number two, you have 176 total yards with punt returns. Sign me up. You deserve to be number five on my list, Cavante Turpin. Also, the backflip. Hello. Uh, I'm a, As a former cheerleader, I appreciate that very much. But, um, yeah, that was my seven, six, and five. Uh, Turpin is quite literally flipping the field. Um, ah! <laughs> <laughs> I wrote that down. I was like, oh, man, I, I forgot to mention that on mine. Um, for seven, I have D-Law. I got Demarcus Lawrence at seven. I know, again, for some people, he might be a little bit higher. I thought that he was still a force in the run game, especially when the Lions were really attacking them on the ground early and often. Um, you know, he had also the key punch out, like you mentioned, Anthony Barr, the guy who got the ball out, which I think he ended up hitting it with his elbow. So talk about being at the right place at the right time. But, you know, he's a guy who, who sets the tone when it comes to run defense. And it's a team that has struggled defending the run. But he's always a guy that you can rely on that when a, a run is in his direction, he's going to hustle and actually make the play. And even when Jared Goff was rolling out to the outside and Micah Parsons chasing down him from behind and Demarcus Lawrence is preventing him to go past him in front. It's like the two of those guys work so well together. And I think, again, he's just his leadership skills are off the chart uh, each and every week. At six, I have Trayvon Diggs. I thought that his interception that he had in the second half to basically set up the first touchdown drive for the Cowboys was huge. And he also had a huge uh, pass breakup on third down. I think it was in the first half. Um, and again, when it with defense that seemed very slow and sluggish in the beginning, he was a guy that was making plays early on and kind of set the tone for the defense. It continues to exceed expectations at five. I have Zach Martin. And I know a lot of people have given me grief for not having him on, not having him on this list at all uh, throughout the season. But I think you can kind of, when I say an offensive lineman, you can kind of throw all of them in there. Cause again, they all work in one cohesive unit, but Zach Martin was getting so much push on the offensive line yesterday on the right side. They had much more success running on the right side with Terrence Steele and him. And I think that Terrence Steele, while in pass blocking, might might have struggled. I think Zach Martin makes him better, and it makes him a better player. I think Joe Philbin and the coaching staff um, has had a lot of credit to his development, but I think Zach Martin is also a guy who deserves a lot of credit for Terrence Steele's development too. So that's who I have at 7, 6, and 5. Very great. Very great stuff. I agree with that, actually. It's just, it, it looks different than my list, but I don't disagree with it. So, thank you. I thank you. Uh, you're, the bottom of your list, I disagree with, but we'll get there. It's not um, personal. Okay. <laughs> Number four, I had uh, Trayvon Diggs. I mean, come on. He, I, I, I firmly believe that interception to start out the second half of the game is what changed everything. Was it I an interception, though? 
it it, it, looked, um, it looked a little uh... according to the nfl <laughs> officiating correct it was yes okay. but we're not going to talk about what we saw afterwards thank you um it, look i don't always agree with the nfl officiating however they we, said it was an interception yeah. it was an interception <laughs> uh did look a little bobbly though when you go back and look at it but it did change the momentum of the game for the Cowboys completely I mean that started things off with a bang and then the second half looked incredible from from the Cowboys defense and um anyways number three I had Micah Parsons I think Micah uh continues to be the only lion in in cowboy in uh, Dallas and and the only winning lion I will say so uh, I, of course I have to give credit to Micah maybe the stats don't necessarily show what he was doing uh, throughout this entire game but I mean man when all they're doing is holding Micah he's still producing like <laughs> like it's Micah Parsons he's gonna be Micah Parsons of course he is high up on my list number two I had Sam Williams because how could you not Sam Williams had a great game absolutely phenomenal game and sam is just somebody who i think you know as a as an everyday fan can be very overlooked i think a lot of people underappreciate the amount of skill that sam williams brings to this defense i have sam williams at number two so all right your next three how much are we going to disagree here? Uh, I, well, I have Ezekiel Elliott at number four. I know he was a little lower on your list, but I thought that not only coming back from that knee injury and the shot that he took, and also, too, I know Aisha Morrison mentioned it on your show, like these low shots that the Lions were taking yesterday, uh, there were a lot. And I understand that, yes, it is a part of the game, but I think that for a team that has struggled significantly in the tackling department for the Lions, I think Aaron Glenn and the rest of the coaching staff was like, listen, if you want to tackle people, tackle them low. And Elliott had that hurdle, and you look at the way that the defender was coming in on him when he hurdled the guy, he was, again, going right for that knee, and that would have been after he had the knee injury. And it's like you have no idea what could happen when a player does something like that, and Dalton Schultz with the knee injury and everything. So, again, you know, going for the knees, I understand it's a part of sports and everything, but, like, take it easy a little bit. Uh, but I thought, you know, having the two touchdowns was great for his confidence and, again, continues to establish himself as, like, this sort of hammer for the Dallas run game. Um, and then I have his other guy, number three, Tony Pollard. Um, I thought that the 83 yards on the 12 carries, I thought it was perfect. He was electric. But I think the biggest thing for me was – the reception he had after the uh, Cowboys got the ball on like the half yard line with the Anthony Barr, you know, Demarcus Lawrence fumble, Dak Prescott, and it's I'll, I'll tell you that timestamp is twelve eighteen in the fourth quarter. He throws this ball at Tony Pollard's looking at him and then looks left at the defender, and he just kind of puts his arms out, and the ball goes right into his hands at the right spot. So that's the difference between Cooper Rush and Dak Prescott. Um, but it looked like it was going to be a pick six all the way, but Tony Pollard was able to scamper up the sideline for 20 yards and give the offense great. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, he gave the offense great. Up, guys. Yeah, you exactly. Yeah, it happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> he gave the offense great field position, and he's such a smooth runner. Like, I love the way he runs, and, like, it's just, like, the top half of his body stay, stands still while his legs are moving and scampering, so I love him as a runner. Number two, I agree with you. I have Sam Williams. Um, not only could he be a part-time pro wrestler with body slamming, uh, but along with having the two sacks forced, uh, he forced a recovered fumble in the fourth quarter, becoming the first Cowboys rookie since 1982 with two sacks, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery in the same game. The last rookie to do it was Nick Bosa in 2019. So shout out to Sam Williams. That's an awesome stat. I love that. Um, and number one, I know we're going to be a little different. I'll start. I have Micah Parsons at number one. The play of the game was his hustle on the screen that he went and just 20, 21 miles an hour. I, like, are you kidding me? Sprinting up down the sidelines. He knew he messed up. And that to me shows the growth that he that he's had over the past two weeks sitting down with Dan Quinn when he knows that he's been a liability with like these RPOs and this hesitancy with, with the screen game, he realized that he messed up and just shot towards the tight end. He's like, I'm not going to let you score. And I think that was the play of the game. If the Lions score there, I forget at what point it was and um, what the score would have been, but I think it would have been a huge turning point and momentum shift for a Lions team that was looking for some sort of spark. Um, so not only that, but I think 
the NFL uh, re-recorded his one sack. I think I think they might have given it to Dorrance Armstrong, but then they switched it back to Micah, or maybe they said the strip sack was you know a sacker. Whatever, he had a great game, and I think again more and more each week we're seeing that he's the catalyst for this defense. And I think after being underwhelming for the previous two weeks, I think he showed up. Um, you know, against a Lions team, which they have a really good offensive line too. You know, uh, Penny Sewell is a, a great tackle, and he gave Micah Fick fits on the outside but I think that when it came into crunch time Micah again being the line that he is just destroying NFL offenses yeah no I don't disagree with any of that it's just again our list look very different because at number one who else would I have other than rain Dakota Prescott I mean hey oh wow you wait do you even have Tony Pollard on your list yeah he was lower he oh, okay was lower. that's he right was... that's right that's right wow Dak at number he one was. Tony Pollard was number eight. Okay, um, all right. But um, I have Dak on my list because it's first of all, I'm being such a fair weather fan here. But um, you know, he has worked his tail off to get back to playing football. I cannot imagine how aggravating it would have been being Dak watching from the sidelines, knowing that of all things, it's a thumb that is keeping you out of the game. I appreciate the amount of work he's put in, even though he hasn't been playing. I appreciate him being the guy that's handing his teammates water bottles on the sidelines while he's not playing. I appreciate him showing up early and being, you know, the last one to leave the room after every meeting. I I appreciate him continuously being around, you know, the star and practice and around his teammates and being part of these conversations and being on the sideline with Cooper Rush. I think, again, it is for Dak, it would have been so aggravating to say at the very least to be in his position. And he came out with poise. He came out and he looked good again, because I know a lot of people were worried. Oh, the last couple of times we've seen Dak, blah, 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 blah. No, Dak Prescott is going to have a phenomenal rest of the season. And I don't care. I don't care. Look, I will die on that hill. I don't care what anybody tells me. He deserves to be number one on the list. Everything this man has gone through, and I'm going to soapbox this, everything he's gone through to get back to this field. Man, I'm just talking the last two years even. This man continues to be so resilient when it comes to returning to this team. So um, on top of that, you could just see the morale boost that having him back gave everybody around him. I I don't know how anybody else could be number one. I, I, I agree. Mark, Micah Parsons is phenomenal. But Dak Prescott is the leader of this this football team. He is the guy. He is the leader. And, you know, anytime you can have your leader back, it's going to make you better. And, and I think um, Dak has yet to show what the best he can do is. And I think you're going to see a very, um, you know, reestablished Dak Prescott from the perspective he's gotten from the sidelines, seeing how really basic things can be if he's not overthinking. So I think you're getting a very distinguished Dak Prescott this season. Um, and I think the best is yet to come for him. But number one, Dak, of course, it's Dak Prescott. I'll make sure that when I'm editing this later, uh, I'll put in some dramatic music like you're just giving a, uh, a an awesome speech to everybody. Like you said, you got to be on that soapbox a little bit. No, I agree. Please, I, yeah, please do. And yeah. I want like a little violin solo, like all of it. I'll, I'll make it dramatic. I'll pull it out from somewhere. But yeah, no, I think that, like we said, the, the top 10 list for a game like this, where it was so, again, very similar to what the NFL has been, where it's so up and down, like. Two, two different sides of, of football. You have a slow first half, a fast start. I mean, five takeaways for the defense in the second half. Like, this is a defense that was, like, best in the league in that category a season ago. On this season, they haven't really had any take, takeaways. And to have five in the second half, I mean, talk about, like, cushioning your stats a little bit that was awesome uh sam williams strip sack you know he just pulls it away from from jared goff i mean it was awesome so uh i think overall it's a game to be proud of and like i mentioned earlier this is sort of the 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 nice part about the schedule is that you're playing now a bears team that's coming in home like at home you know you're not gonna have to travel or do anything being on the road so you're playing at home before the bye week which is great so you can kind of build this momentum a little bit and sort of i know you had on here sort of like any key matchups to take a look at for people to think about early in the week before the weekend 
I put down Khalil Herbert and David Montgomery. They're the running backs for the Bears. Both very good. Khalil Herbert is actually leading the team in rushing with, oh, I think over 400 yards. But also Justin Fields has about 200 or so yards as well, too. And he's like that mobile quarterback that is very similar to Jalen Hurts in that department where we don't know how he's going to be with regards to running the football. And if the tape's out there that the defense has struggled with mobile quarterbacks, they might want to implement that in their game plan um, on offense. So I think that Justin Fields is someone to keep an eye out for. Also, too, third third down offense efficiency for the Cowboys. Like, get it right. Come on. Can we just do it? 33% on Sunday. Kind of ridiculous. Oh, but the- oh, well, and according to Christy, that was the best it's been this yeah. season, which yeah. is so sad. And the Bears' defense, luckily, is allowing about 46% of third down conversion rates for opponents. So they're allowing almost half uh of third downs to be allowed for the opposing offenses so that's a great stat to look forward to to try and get right um and the defense also has 11 sacks on the season which is tied for third least in the nfl so again if you want Dak to be protected you don't have to worry about the thumb it seems like for this week and the defense uh for the bears is allowing 61 first down rushing attempts which leads the league and they didn't even play until tonight when we we're recording this. And the second one is uh, Detroit with 55. So, again, they're allowing these runners, these opposing runners, to just run all over them, get first downs. And I think that when you see a team like the Cowboys where they're leaning right now on Elliott and Pollard, like, do that. That's the game plan. Make it a quick game. Get out next week and just get an extended bye week. And then you can get rested and refreshed for the Packers. So I think those are key stats to look forward to um, this week and kind of keep in the back of your brain when you're watching the game. Yeah, I also think something to keep an eye out for is the use of the younger wide receivers that we have yet to see anything of. Jalen Tolbert, Kamonte Turpin maybe being integrated more into the offense. I think now with Dak's return, nothing is off the table for the Cowboys offense. And that... To me, that's what I'm going to be keeping an eye on. You know I want to see my guy Cavante uh, in in the, the offense a little bit more as well. But, uh, yeah, keep an eye on on the younger guys that, you know, you might see end up playing with Dak um, a little bit more. And, um, you know, to that, to that point, just because Michael Gallup did not have himself a game does not make him a bad player by any means, Cowboys Nation. Slow your roll. Hold your horses. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. It's like these guys that are coming back from injury, just cut them some slack. You know, it's the same thing with baseball. You have a pitcher that comes back from Tommy John surgery. They're not going to be the same guy until the year after uh, they're playing. And that's the same thing, too, with Travis Frederick, too, when he was coming back from his um, diagnosis, his disease. It's like until you come back that following year, then you're going to be better. But when you're first coming back, it's going to be a little rough. Michael Gallup is still trying to find his way. I think you mentioned like the mental side, the hurdle to get over. I think he's still trying to battle that a little bit. It just seems like he's trying to battle that. But even Kellen Moore took took ownership in his press conference this week, said I need to get him involved in the offense more. So that's nice to see that maybe they'll try and get him a little bit more designed offensive uh, plays. So hopefully Michael Gallup will be good. But I, I listen. We'll talk about the wide receivers and all that come the bye week with trade deadline stuff. I think maybe they need to upgrade. I don't know why you get rid of Marty Cooper in that point. But again, that's stuff that we can talk about later. We don't have to worry about that right now. Yeah, we don't have to worry about that. But in the meantime, we are running out of time. So you do have to worry about that and not hearing from us again until next week. Brandon, to keep up with all things amazing puns, incredible knowledge, everything that is your multiverse of madness in your mind, where can people find you on Twitter? It is at Brandon is right. And it's W-R-I-T-E, not R-I-G-H-T. He's always right. And uh, you can you can keep up with me at Jess Navarre's underscore on Twitter. We love to hear from you guys. And we just love all of the fun tweets that you send us. Um, I, I think people have caught on to our puns here. So they're, they're starting to join in, which I can appreciate. But uh, thank you all so, so much for listening to another episode of the Writer's Block Podcast. We will be back at it next week with plenty to talk about. And we may or may not have some special guests lined up for the coming weeks. So make sure to stay tuned. Have a great rest of your Victory Tuesday and we'll talk to you then. 